Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I'm your host, Christina Singh, and I am so thrilled to be back for another episode this week. And with the second compilation episode that I've ever put out, (laughs) I love, love, loved doing the first one. So I thought I'd do another one. I know that I have had a few new listeners to the show lately, so I wanted to put together a little compilation episode to give you a little bit of insight into past interviews. Um, There are four episodes being featured in this compilation episode, so enjoy these clips from these incredible women. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it and not waste any more time. I hope you love these interviews. And if you want the full episodes, I've listed them in the show notes. Feel free to go and listen to them. Um, All of these women are amazing. And I'm so excited for you to hear more about them and and these clips from their episodes. Okay, enjoy. Episode 28, The Power of Asking with Jen Gittimer. Ever since I was five, and I, I'm sure there's no coincidence that that's around when I learned you need to ask, right? Yeah. Um, I, and people would say like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I had friends who were like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, a this, a that, a firefighter, or whatever, right? <laughs> My response was always, I'm going to own a business. Mm. Every single time. And it ta- and it, I remember adults being surprised by that answer because I don't think back in that day, like maybe now it's a more common answer, but back in that, in my day, it <laughs> wasn't. And the adults would be like, oh, really? What kind of business? I'm like, wow. I don't know. Oh, are you going to own the same business as your parents? No, that's boring. They do, they print books. I don't want to print books. That's boring. But what I didn't realize was, although I was adamant about not going into book printing, um, what I, what I didn't realize was how much I was learning from my parents who did own a business and how fortunate I was to sit at the kitchen table with them growing up, hearing their business conversations, have to hire someone, have to fire someone, you know, lost a customer, got a new customer. Here's how he got this all the things that they would talk about and debrief with each other every single night. I was like getting a real world MBA in the making, you know? And so it, it, it kind of became part of my DNA that it was a no brainer. The only question was what business? Right. And I had been selling my whole life and I had a really secure, cushy sales job at, um, at a company that sold to News Corp and we grew from 150 people to 1500 people overnight, at which point still in my twenties, my responsibilities grew way above my head way. Like I was making decisions that were impacting the stock price. And I had no idea that like, that I was even, that I had that much power, if that makes any sense. And so, but I just, it wasn't for me. Like it be it there there was a lot of red tape. It was just time for me to go. You know, when you're at a company and you have that feeling like this is not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, after six years of being there, the last year and a half was miserable for me. Like I, I would get on that train and cross, you know, the long stretch, it's like five minutes, which feels mm-hmm. like forever when you go from Manhattan to Brooklyn and you're yep. going through the tunnel and there's no stops <laughs> and it, yes. it literally just feels like forever, but it's only five minutes. Every single morning I would think to myself, I am going to hell now. 
Oh my God. For a year and a half. For a year. But I was scared to leave because I, it was really, it was easy. I was good at it. It was good money. And it's all I knew was working for something. Like I knew I always wanted to own my own thing, but that's scary, man. Yeah. That's really scary. Like you don't make sales. You don't pay the bills, you know? And so eventually one day I quit and I started my own business and I took that leap of faith. And there's a longer version to this story, but I'm going to skip it for now. Maybe when I get invited back, but, uh, yes. <laughs> but, uh, so, so I quit, started my business and began teaching people how to sell, began teaching business owners how to make more money in their business, because that's what I know how to do. That's what I was doing at my former company, leading sales teams. Why not do it for myself where I can make more impact? And my feeling on this was, and talk about being a female ally. I didn't even realize that's what I, that was really on my heart until a couple of years into business. So I started my business in 2013 and I was just kind of helping anybody that needed my help. And that felt good. But like you said, there was something almost felt like it was missing. And it, it wasn't until the pandemic hit that I realized what am I doing? Like, I need to take a step back. Who am I serving? How am I serving them? And, you know, and I had been going all over the country giving talks and I, I, I have two dogs. I have a family. Like, yeah. I kind of want to be home. I like my home a lot. I, I like my routine. I like to wake up and play tennis. Like it wasn't a fit anymore and neither was my audience. And that's when I really began to pivot to help female entrepreneurs, because that's what I realized was this has always been my passion. I've just never acknowledged it to myself. And it's like, I get to help that scared version of who I was when I was at that company for a year and a half. And am I allowed to curse? I don't know. Yeah, oh yeah. Chicken. You can curse okay, as much I was, as you want. I was going to say I was a chicken shit. Like I was like <laughs> too chicken literally to walk away because I was I was I was scared of betting on myself. Right. And I get to now help those same women who are who are betting on themselves, which is Ugh. like the coolest part of it. Literally chills. I am so excited to talk about so many things with you. So I want to know two two things. First, when you quit your job, and you started your own business, what did that first year look like for you? Like, what was that first transition? Because now you're saying you're helping people now take that leap and that jump. You're helping female entrepreneurs because you've been there and you've done it. Right. So what did that look like? I mean, I'm sure it was scary as hell. It was. And I was in a networking group and that was everything to me because within that group, I was able to find someone who could help me design a website. I was able to find someone who could tell me what to do in social media. I was able to connect with people who were light years ahead of me. Hmm. Some people who I'm still connected to today, like a guy named Joseph and he, he sells, he, he helps people get loans. Okay. But I, and I wasn't looking for a loan. I didn't get a loan from him, but he met with me and he is a really like, he's an uber successful businessman that had I just cold called and said, Hey, I would love to learn about your years of experience. Would you, can I, can I uh, buy you coffee? 
can I buy you lunch and pick your brain? No, right? But because we were in this networking group together, that's the power of networking. I was able to say, hey, can we meet and chat? And when we did, he gave me so much information that changed even my early decisions in my business you know, to, to really focus on creating profit. And so just little things like that, you know, were, were so helpful by being in this networking group. So that's, and then I got to serve people in the group. So I got nice. testimonials by doing that. I, I really, without that group, I don't know how I would have built my business. It helped yeah. me. I helped them and they helped me build my business. Well, what I think you're talking about also is just the power of relationship building in general, yes. having the uh, a space fully dedicated to building relationships is so important. And 100%. You're, you're teaching people how to do this, but you yourself, you're learning how to do this for a new business. And yeah. so I think that's so powerful. And it's different when it's a personal brand business. Right. Versus uh, a product or whatever business, even though we take it personally, if like someone doesn't like our notebook that we made, we take it more personally when someone doesn't want our coaching. Right. You know, or doesn't want our service because it's, it feels like it's, it, they're rejecting us, even though they might not be rejecting you at all. Yeah. And I feel like as a female entrepreneur, especially in sales, you know, when you, you were mentioning this at the top of the show, when you think about sales, people think slimy or pushy, but also there's an image of a guy wearing a suit, <laughs> trying to sell you a car, you know, yep, yep. <laughs> there's that image. And, and it is so sad that that has become the the image people get in their head when they think of selling. Yeah. You How know? have you combated that? Like what are we, I mean, you are an incredibly powerful woman in how you speak and how you engage with people and how you've built your businesses. I mean, you were talking about how you were traveling all over the world. How do you combat that? So first of all, everything is a sale. You're selling every day, whether you want to believe it or not, your kids are selling. If you have kids, they're selling you that they should have a candy bar before dinner. Uh, you know, like everything is some sort of um, opportunity offer and decision to say yes or no. And that's really a sale. And it's just a matter of getting your mindset right around it and being comfortable enough to know that what you offer, whatever that is, is going to impact your clients in a way that it behooves you to make that offer. You know, if you don't believe, so it really begins with belief. It begins with your attitude. Okay. And, and that, I mean, I teach this in my mindset course and all that, but it, it begins with your attitude and then your belief. You have to believe that you offer the best products and services in the world in your genre or else there's, no point in selling them. It's like people who try to sell MLM. Uh, I think they yeah. call it direct sales now, but they try to sell like, you know, the Rodan and Fields shampoo or whatever it may be, but they've never used it themselves. Right. Well, why would I like, are, is it, you know, where's the belief? You can't have that strong unless you've seen the results yourself or have witnessed it through someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, that's such a beautiful lesson in confidence in yourself and your abilities. And I think as women in the workplace, we often deal with imposter syndrome. So yes. when has imposter syndrome come up for you and how have you combated that? 
Yeah, there's always this feeling of who am I to be doing this? There's always this feeling of, well, someone else is already doing it. So why would I go do it? And 100%. Then- <laughs> I think about that all the time. And, and, then, and then there's a decision that you get to make where you can choose to reframe those thoughts. You know, so instead of who am I to be doing this, who am, who am I, who, who am I not to be doing this? Like, or, you know, everyone is already doing this. Well, maybe that means there's a big market for it. If ever, if people are already doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think in the beginning too, because my husband is uh, a legend in the sales industry and has written 17 best-selling books on sales and all this yeah. stuff, I would compare myself to him. Like, yeah. well, who am I? Because look at what he's done, you know, even though I had been selling and teaching sales before I met him, it still became this like imposter syndrome component. And there was one talk I gave where they said to me, Hey, afterwards, Hey, did you know, we know your husband? I was like, no, I didn't know that. And they're like, our team though, relates to your style better. And I thought, whoa, like that to me was mind blowing because, you know, they're going to be people all day long who relate to him better. They're going to be people all day long who relate to me better. And it's just a matter of if you're a business owner, finding your people, it's not a matter of changing who you are. It's a matter of finding your people who relate to who you are. Oh, I love that so much. Just, it it is a matter of finding your people because that's so true. It's true with every relationship that you have. You have to find your person. You have to find your people. And I think that there is this moment that I've talked about before on this show where you want to see leaders that look more like you. And then you realize you have to be that leader and you have to step into that role. Episode 34, Women Embrace Your Power with Rhonda Kahn. I, I want to really hone in on the inner work component because we've talked about that particularly with your business and how um, we're facing fears, leadership, embracing imposter syndrome, all of those things. Um, what are you seeing with your clients around the inner work, specifically around women of color? Because everything that you just said, I can 100% relate to. Um, There is this vision that society has around public speaking, how people present themselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel very strongly, and we've already mentioned this, that leadership can look like so many different things. So when it comes to that inner work, what are you tackling? So here's the thing with, with, with women of color, And just, I think everybody deals with this, but it's a unique conversation with women of color, which is why I pivoted to serve us, is that it, there is a different conversation when you're talking about speaking confidently, when you are dealing with sexism and racism and class, like all the, like we get all the isms together. (laughs) We just get that lovely package. We get (laughs) lovely, like in a bowl. Great. Um, (laughs) And, and where we have to show up confidently. And I think there's a lot of general, and it's not bad, but general confidence advice out there. Like, you know, know your voice and own who you are. And just like, don't get me started on lean in in and all that other conversation. (laughs) But for us, 
we are judged more harshly. We have harsher expectations. We're often working harder and not receiving what we, what we deserve for it. And there's so many layers that we're working through to even open our mouth. There's so many questions that we're asking ourselves and so much that we have to go through that, that, that men don't have to experience, that white men don't have to experience for sure. And, and so, and even with my clients who, and I, I've seen plenty, like love my white women clients, <laughs> love my yeah. but like seeing them, like they have some similar stuff, but it was not, I was seeing that it was not the same conversation and people will be coming to me. Like, I want to work on this, this is this. And I'm just like, but she doesn't even believe her words are worthy. And she doesn't mm. even believe that she belongs in the room. And so we got to get to that stuff. And so just like I was mentioning before, it has a lot to do with being attached to narratives and behaviors that are not serving you. Yes. Whether you think that this is the way you're supposed to talk, or this is the way you have to code switch in this environment, or this is the way that that presenters are supposed to present. And if you follow my work, you've heard me talk about presenter mode, which is like, I see these vibrant women that show up and like, girl, I'm this and that, and like so much life. But as soon as it's time to be the presenter or the speaker, there's a veil or like, yes. like, a, like, like yeah. a lowering of a wall that shows up. And I miss all the wonderful dynamics of you. But I know that that's not just because you think that's how it's supposed to be. I know it's some other stuff in there. And it's right. not just the systemic stuff. It's like, what's going on with family? Like, what have you been told about yourself and how you, have you been told that you're too loud or too aggressive or too quiet? Like if, if depending on that, like, cause you know, I feel like women of color have to, and it depends on the, you know, the type of women, like black women are told one thing, Asian women are told another thing. Uh, Latinas are told another thing. And so, you know, so like, it's often like who I have to be in this, like I'm doing like a double Dutch move for your listeners, like who do I have to be in this space? And the reality is like, everybody's going to have their perception of you. Yeah. You can't control that, but you can create the narrative for yourself. So we spend a lot of work, like letting go of that sis. Like, what is, what is that? Who told you that you like, why are you using this language when you speak? And like, what is this hand gesture that doesn't look like you that you're seeming to need to do because you feel like, Somebody has told you that this is how leaders are, or maybe you've looked at these women that you're like, I want to speak like that, but you're imitating them. Mm. And instead of like really identifying what are your strengths that you can serve the audience with versus what other people are doing, because you like what they're doing, because that works for them, because that's their thing. What's your thing? Right. Authenticity is everything. Yeah. And to hit these roadblocks over and over and over again, where you are told that you need to fit into a certain box mm-hmm. is exhausting. And yeah. we're often presented with the fact that we have to present ourselves in a certain way to be presentable. And it is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I really, really appreciate you saying what you're saying right now, because I know that there are women out there who need to hear this in this moment, that you can be yourself, that you can refine your communication skills while being authentically you. In fact, that the world needs that because we need to see more women of color being who they are um, and embracing the fact that Uh, they are maybe that boisterous, loud person in the room, or maybe they're a little more shy. Sure. That's okay. I want to add something to this too, as we talk about this, because here's a pushback that we get, and this is what I'm evolving to. And I think I'm curious what you think about this. Yeah. 
I am struggling with the word authenticity because mm-hmm. that is also a privilege that we don't get either. Right. Because while I want you to lean into your authentic things, I do know that sometimes we are punished for that. You know what I mean? Like you have people like, you know, these, these Cardi B's and those, they are outliers, but in many environments, you will get punished for showing up. And so like, I have to speak to that too, of like, I want you to be authentic, but Mm -hmm. I know the system doesn't always allow it. And that's the part that we can't control. But what I like to say is that I believe in intentional authenticity and that's how you take your power back. And so um, intentional authenticity means that you can decide what parts you want to show up and what parts you do not. And not because they told you to, but what's effective, like what is going to serve you. And it doesn't mean that you mute parts, but that means that I get to choose. You don't, you don't always deserve my authenticity to be honest, right? Right. Like, can we talk about that? And I think like, that's the, that's the other layer. Like, and that's where I come in with like, when the women of color who work with me, but I'm like, I get it. I get it. I remember growing up and people saying that I had an attitude when I was really very shy and people pleasing and sweet, but they just associated black women with attitude. And so they just said it and it didn't matter what I could have done. They were going to think that because that's how you view a black woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, Racism is, it's here. Like we can't, you, your job is not to fix all of that. Your job is to take your power back and be like, I'm going to wear these bright red earrings. I'm going to wear my hair natural. I'm not going to co-switch or maybe I am because I don't feel like it right. I don't feel like, you know, giving you all my goodness because you don't deserve it. But like, that's how you actually take your power back. And I feel like that can be, I'm speaking about my experience as a black woman, but like my clients who are Asian, who are Latina, like we have these same conversations about it. And it's just like, you get to decide. That's your power. Oh, I 100% agree with you. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because I, I totally agree. I mean, I've talked about on this show how um, we are combating, well, two things I've talked about. We are combating white supremacy culture constantly. And that um, happens in the boardroom. It happens in Mm -hmm. conference rooms. It happens in front of presentations. You know, white supremacy culture dictates perfectionism. It dictates worshiping (laughs) the written word, getting defensive, you know, they're just so the sense of urgency and having mm-hmm. here that presentation be five minutes and be perfect, you know, and I, and I think there is so much that we are combating around yeah. white supremacy culture um, that comes to directly impacting the work that you're doing and also allowing people to but like you telling people you're allowed to um, give people as much as you want to give is so powerful because I think we're always, uh, we're always supposed to be giving, giving, giving. Episode 53, Authentic Expression in the Workplace with Yael Bell. How has, um, you know, standing in your power um, benefited you now? Yeah. Yeah, I've had it throughout my freelancing and entrepreneurial journey too. It's almost like, like when I quit my corporate job, it's kind of like firing a client (laughs) that you do as a freelancer. It's deciding what feels good for you and like being able to open yourself up to other opportunities. I think that when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And that is 
that that is power and it's not an easy it's not easy to say no it's not it's it's boundaries it's knowing where those are um but there is so much opportunity that comes with it and yeah. it's a constant journey to learn where that boundary is oh yeah 100% and then when you start doing that you realize there's a a whole, a whole world outside of this system that you thought was so limiting and that it's out there and you can, you know, you always have to test those boundaries and like practice setting them over and over and over again. But I, I, in my experience, when all of this, these similar things happened with me, it was like, oh, there's a bigger world than this like tiny community that I thought was running my life. And I'm a part of that. And I'm an active participant in all of these decisions. And I always have been, mm-hmm. um, I know you then started your own company and that seems like a very big power move. Um, and that you're cultivating self-expression and your, you and your forms of sex, self-expression and, and color and your love of everything, um, artistic into these, Um, moments where you founded your company. Can we talk about that journey of how you started your own company and what that looked like in that moment you decided to do that? Yeah, that was my ultimate saying, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I got a call from a friend from 2013, uh, Drea, who is my co-founder. And, um, this was in March, 2020. So right after the world had shut down, Gosh, <laughs> yep. she was probably sitting home, isolated, thinking a lot. And I came to mind and she told me that I had been creatively inspiring her for years and that she wanted to start a company with me such a blessing. I was, I remember this moment so well sitting in my parents' home in Jersey, where I was dragged to by my brother out of the busy New York city to be supported (laughs) in the beginning of the pandemic. And I got this blessing of a call and, and it actually wasn't the biggest yes, hell yeah, right away, because I had not said no to something else yet. And I had to Mm -hmm. I had to um, just kind of digest that. At this point, I had just been um, sent home from a company that I had put all my eggs in their one basket. So I was freelancing. I was on, I was like a permalancer for them. And uh, I had said no to all my other clients. This was like February, 2020. Um, Oh my gosh. Amazing, amazing, unique beauty product called uh, chrome tooth polish and it was we had just started getting a lot of like instagram and press traffic at that point i was actually featured on new york mags the cut for them um, as like the face of this this new beauty product it's a colorful colorful paint for your teeth like nail polish for your teeth oh wow oh yeah but on like March 16th, he told me that, uh, we're going to take a break and don't come into the office. Don't come ship things. We're going to figure it out. And so that was a month of like working two hours a day and like filing for unemployment, all of that. So I'm going through that at the very beginning of the pandemic when my co-founder called me. And so my response to her was, 
this sounds amazing. Thank you. I'm honored. Um, let me think about this. And so two weeks later, I said, okay, let's chat. I have an idea. And I was, this was in my gap of, of this one month of not really having a lot of work. So I did have this time to digest it and think about it. And so we developed a creative agency model that's super unique because we don't have any employees. We are all a community. We're a collective of individual freelancers and solopreneurs. And it was totally inspired by what I had just gone through in the beginning of the pandemic and, and right before that of feeling so isolated working for this one founder where I had no, no support system um, in my own industry and, and the inspiration way before that coming from the corporate world of feeling too stuck in a box and not able to express myself enough. So it was stuck, isolated, where's our middle ground? Where's our happiness as creatives? How can we feel the most in our creative flow? And my co-founder had the same experience. Pretty much she was working in plumbing and engineering and also very corporate male-dominated industries. And she had done a bunch of freelancing on the side. She was on the board of TEDx um, or at least was running, running parts of TEDx for Asbury. And we just really wanted to liberate ourselves and liberate our creativity and be able to inspire this whole collective to be able to do the same. So it was a total yes two weeks after she called me. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 35, Creativity is Your Superpower with Rachel volkley Kuhlman. What is foresight? Yeah. What is all of that? You know, what is this process? How does it look? This program that I was in, this master's in creativity, was founded in the 50s, 60s by a gentleman called Alex Osborne. And he was an ad executive who came out of BBDO in New York City. So if you watch Mad Men, that's kind of what the, the, the firm was based off of, right? <laughs> so he came to Buffalo and he was like... Um, he basically is the first person to coin the term brainstorm, right? We've been brainstorming since, since like humans existed. Um, it was like fight, flight, freeze, slash create, like brainstorm, because we had to like get out of the cave, yeah. right? So it's something we've always done, but he kind of did it in a very deliberate way and wrote a whole book about it called Applied Imagination. And that's basically what started this entire program in Buffalo that now people from all over the world come and learn. And so he built this um this creative problem solving process that has now gotten boiled down to four steps, um, as Christina alluded to. And so my department chair, Dr. Gerard Puccio, who's incredibly brilliant, um, came up with this foresight assessment, um, or it's based on his research, right? And so it boils down to these four steps. The first being um, clarification, which is where you are really trying to figure out what you're trying to solve. What is the problem you are trying to solve? Because you can go off and do a whole brainstorm about, you know, what are all the ways that I can market my product? But if you, if that's not actually the problem of that you're trying to solve, if the, if it's not about marketing, but it's actually about the product itself, then you kind of just wasted a bunch of time, right? Yeah. Going after the wrong problem. And so a lot of the meat and potatoes of creative problem solving is in clarification, right? Like really defining what you're trying to solve. The second stage is ideation, which is where that classic brainstorming comes in. So um, 
that is where you're coming up with the ideas you're you're using um we call it divergent thinking right so in divergent thinking and you're using divergent and convergent thinking in all of these steps but especially in ideation divergent thinking is we're deferring judgment we are building off of other people's ideas we are seeking wild and unusual ideas and um you know, we are striving for quantity because the last third, this is like so nerdy. I'm like getting real into it. With the, research. It. the research tells us that the last third of the ideas that you come up with when you're brainstorming is where the gold is. Like when you think you've come up with all the ideas you can, if you can stretch that ever bit so much more, that's where the gold is. That's where the, some of the most innovative ideas can come from. And so that's, you know, in the ideation phase, that's like where those classic brainstorming um, is happening. But right. then we want to actually get off brainstorm island right like it's super awesome when you go to those meetings and you come up with all those ideas or you're sitting down and you're like having your latte and you're like okay I'm gonna come up with like all these ideas well it doesn't matter if you come up with ideas if you don't do anything with them right so we need to keep we got to keep on going and so we roll into development which is where we're polishing and refining those ideas so we're really weighing the pros and cons um if those ideas are going to work and what are some of the challenges that we might encounter and how can we overcome those challenges and we're using a lot of like positive affirmations when we're coming towards it because a lot of times in creativity we shut down an idea really quickly because we're just like well that's not going to work right like how many times have I mean I've done that right like I'm yeah. super guilty of that so development allows us to stop and kind of pause and say well this is a great idea what's great about it what's what's a challenge about it and what can we do to overcome that challenge so we don't just shut the idea down altogether. Right. And then we move into uh, implementation, which is where we actually build out a, a to-do list, our action plan, our what are we going to do in three weeks? What are we going to do in three months? What are we going to do in six months? And you actually build out this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm accountable to. This is the to-do list that I have in order to hold myself accountable to make this happen. Yeah. And so the creative problem solving process, those, those four steps, and they kind of move in like a cycle, but you can kind of enter in at any given point, um, depending where you are in the problem, right? And a lot of times in our group, we started in clarification because that's yes. where a lot of us <laughs> lived. So there's this assessment called foresight, um, which I was alluding to. So, um, is based in the research of, you know, Alex Osborne and then Dr. Puccio of those four steps. And so what it says is that all of us are creative. That's like a, that's a full stop. Like anyone who's listening, like you are creative, whether you believe it or not, everybody is built with creativity. We all have these natural tendencies and preferences for um, one or more of those four steps of the creative problem solving process. So for right. myself, I'm a huge clarifier and ideator. So I love asking a lot of questions. I love to come up with a lot of ideas. And then when I actually have to come up with the ideas and like move forward with it, I kind of lose energy. It has nothing to do with whether I'm good or not at um you know, developing and implementing, it has nothing to do with my ability. It has everything to do with like where I get energy. So right. like an introvert or an extrovert at a party, right? Like an introvert's probably like not jamming at a party. They're like hanging in the corner with me and we're like eating off the snack table and be like, please don't <laughs> talk to me. Right. Or like I'm having a one-on-one -on -one like conversation. Yeah, I'm petting cats. I'm like, what's on the refrigerator? What's going on? This is a great calendar. Where'd you get this calendar? <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I love, love this, this calendar. calendar. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Same thing with our creativity. So there are certain steps that we get a lot of energy in, and there's some steps that kind of zap our energy. Um, 
And so I can't remember, Christina, if you're willing to share, I can't remember what your preferences were, if you're willing to share. So I was going to say, I am an ideator. You're an ideator. That's right. I am a huge ideator. And I was not shocked after I took that assessment. I was like, "Um, yeah, I have so many ideas in my phone. (laughs) Um, And my weakness is implementing. And so- for me, and, and it's not a where weakness, you have lower, my, energy. Where yeah, I I have say, lower energy. energy. Sorry. Yes. You see, I'm still learning guys. Like there's still <laughs> this whole big process around this. And this is what I, where I think the beauty comes in because, uh, around creativity and around, um, entrepreneurship, uh, you know, around business, we are not, um, supporting these four categories in a way that's positive, in my opinion. And if you have lower energy in one of these four categories, that's not necessarily like honored or celebrated um, or even recognized. I think we're all supposed to be hitting every single one of these categories all the time um, with high energy and for me, and I, I really do think for everyone else in the group as well, there was this realization of, oh, that's why I tackle these things the way I do. This is why I put this energy into my business. I know one of the other participants was an implementer and they were very um, uncomfortable during the brainstorming like ideation part of this process and for me I was super comfortable in the ideation process and not comfortable during the implementation process and it really focuses that energy um, around a supportive environment to essentially like hold your hand through each one of these stages and say, Hey, we're all doing this together. Um, you have a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds who have energy levels in each one of these different buckets who are going to show up for you and who are going to be there to support you in this journey of creating this goal, wish, or challenge into a reality. And that is what I think is so key is you know, you just heard me say my weakness. Well, it's not a weakness. Like you were saying, it's the fact that my energy is lower in this area. And so what can I do to support that ideating part of my brain and like bring it slowly into that implementer portion of my brain? Yeah. That was the key that was so life-changing for me because (sighs) it was essentially every step of the way we were ideating. Uh, in each one of these buckets. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's been so helpful to know if I am implementing a plan, I need to ideate around it. I need to brainstorm those small bits and pieces of how to bring that plan to life. Um, and you know, if I was an implementer, I would probably need to go into the ideation stage and figure out, okay, how would I, you know, how can I frame this in an implementing lens potentially, or how can I maybe get some more support around this? Um, So that really was like something that blew my mind was let's make sure we're framing this in the way that is reality. Like this is actually not a negative thing and everyone is creative. (laughs) 
I hope you enjoyed this compilation episode part two. Please never forget that your voice matters and your story matters. And I will see you on Friday with a solo episode of the show. Bye everyone. I'm so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.